This is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. This week, we're offering four conversations from Season 3, Episode 10, our session asking what different prevalence studies and population estimates from the U.S., U.K., and Germany can tell us about the challenge of when, who, and how often to screen for and treat liver disease. In this conversation, Jorn Schottenberg reviews key findings from his recently published paper, Prevalence and Risk Factors of Advanced Liver Fibrosis in a Population-Based Study in Germany, published last week in Hepatology Communications. After his overview, Ian Rowe and Wayne Eskridge ask questions about analysis of Fib4 in the study, and I attempt to place the fatty liver index score in that study in the context of other measures of early-stage fatty liver disease. One challenge in the coming fatty liver pandemic involves creating appropriately scaled, cost-effective strategies for screening and stratifying large swaths of the adult population. This conversation addresses elements of that challenge. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, Join the dialogue on our LinkedIn and Facebook discussion groups. Why don't we dive in? And the way we're going to handle this is we're going to ask Jorn first to talk about his paper that was accepted on Saturday, what he learned and what methods he used and what metrics he looked at. And then after that, uh, questions from the gang, and then we'll move on to Wayne. And then after that, we'll move on to Ian. And then after that, we'll try to draw subtotals on what we're learning. But Jorn, floor is yours, my friend. Jorn Schottenberg. Well, thanks, Roger. And again, thank you for providing the opportunity and inviting me to present this paper on behalf of the co-authors, which is now accepted or published online in Hepatology Communications. And it's really a study that was set up by the cardiologists in our medical center here. Cardiologists are very good at setting up those large population-based studies. Uh, it started actually 10 years, over 10 years ago. Uh, and unfortunately, back then, they didn't reach out to ask me about what could liver disease bring to that cohort. But more recently, I got engaged, and, and, and it's a tremendous, truly population-based cohort in terms of they are actually writing to people and asking them to participate at the study center and come to the study center and get a number of exams being done. And But that way, they recruited 15,000 people back in 2007 starting. And importantly, the study population is it's a single center observational study, but they're randomly selected. So uh, in contrast to all the data we're seeing from uh, referral cohorts, this is truly, again, population-based. And albeit randomly selected, the sampling procedure was stratified for sex, rural versus urban in our vicinity. Uh, here in decades of age. So you get a fairly good spread uh, across the population. And there's a lot of data that you could look at. The most obvious ones and the ones we started out with is the prevalence of liver disease estimated by liver enzymes that were tested in that study. And the first data set that I'd like to highlight here and that was a surprise to me actually was that the prevalence of elevated ALT was 20% in that population. Now, if you discuss the prevalence of elevated liver enzymes, there's always the discussion of upper limit of normal and uh, potentially comorbidities. Uh, I'll get to limitations of the study cohort in a second, but it's important to note that they did a pretty good job at stratifying for alcoholic intake. And so in three categories, we can separate patients with very low intake, moderate, considerate social uh, alcohol intake, and then high alcohol intake. And beyond ALT and liver enzymes, I think the most important and exciting part of this was that we we're able to calculate some surrogates of advanced fibrosis and fatty liver. So the fatty liver index, we 
was used uh, and the FIP4 index was used. And if you look at that German population that started to enroll patients aged 35 till 75, the prevalence of a high FIP4 index, so this is the cutoff of 2.67, which is indicative of advanced fibrosis, F3, F4 disease, as we consider it on liver biopsy, was 1% at the population level. And I think this is probably the strongest piece of data that, from my perspective, came out of that study and something that will inform us moving forward, you know, what's the relevant burden of advanced disease in populations. I'm going to stop here and we can uh, discuss a lot of details on the study population and what tests have gone in there and what didn't go in. And maybe the other thing I'd like to just mention quickly is that now, unfortunately, we didn't have all the differential diagnosis you'd like to see for a liver disease. For example, the cohort wasn't explored for hep C or hep B. So there's going to be some chronic viral hepatitis in there, but the majority of that advanced fibrosis is most likely going to be related to metabolic risk factors. And that's actually one of the important aspects that we found out on the correlations that we did afterwards. Okay, so I'm going to hold my questions until after you guys are done, because you ask better questions frequently than I do. Um, so Wayne, Ian, Louise, whomever wants to. Thanks, Jorn. You know, one of the things that we have a lot of discussion about in the States is ALT levels, and that's commonly what our primary care docs use as a flag to send people to a specialist. Did you find the ALT correlated particularly with the FIB4 triggers, or was there discontinuity in that? Well, the liver function tests obviously go into the FIB4 calculation, so there's somewhat of an impact there. I might want to mention the cutoffs we used. So the ALT for men was 50 as a upper limit of normal, and for females, it was 35. And this is something we use in our area here. Now, if you look into the literature, there's sometimes a little bit off, and it's really not a study to discuss the right level with regards to the prevalence of liver disease, because we're missing that reference standard to really examine liver disease based on, let's say, ultrasound or a liver histology. But for sure, at the levels we looked at, ALT of 50 and 35 for women, it was 20%. And of course, alcohol consumption correlated with that, but also importantly, metabolic syndrome. Wayne Eskridge. Does the um, FIB4, is that something that is supported in Germany as the method of selection for liver disease? Yes, it's something we bring forward. And I think it's exactly at that population level um, where I'd like to see it to be used. And I'll be interested to hear what Ian says because he's done a lot of thinking about that and working. But I think it's where the test is pretty cheap. It's available. And in that large scale, I can identify the 1% that's really liver diseased. And I think this is one aspect how this could move us forward here. One of the campaigns we've been on is to try to get FIB4 to be recognized earlier on here in the States. So that's that's great news. Thanks, Wayne. Ian Louise, whoever wants to go next, go ahead. Ian Rowe. Yes, maybe I'll jump in there. The, I mean, FIB4 is a really useful tool, although not often used for its high threshold, like, you know, Jorn, you've done in, in this study to really look to identify those people you think there really is advanced fibrosis, but it more is as a, as a tool to help excluding um, significant disease. And I'd be interested to know what proportion of people tested positive above a threshold of 1.3 or 1.5 to try and understand what the burden of sort of referral might be. That would be helpful to understand. Yeah, and that, and that number 
number was considerably higher. So we had the 1.3 cutoff and it was 19.3% in the population. If you choose that as a referral cutoff, we're going to have to look at a lot of people. And that's, of course, a, a potential burden and, and maybe not doable at this time. Yeah, and I think I think that's I think that's really important, isn't it? It's not that different to using an ALT cutoff for entry. The question that Wayne asked, I guess, is useful to try and understand then in terms of whether if you select people using ALT first or select people using FIB4 first, whether you're likely, which is the most effective strategy. And I guess that that's something that is open to explore in future studies. Yeah, and importantly, uh, you know, we cannot say anything about the right strategy here. It's a prevalence study and, and it just informs us about the numbers. And if I tell my colleagues, you'll have to see 20% of the German population, they're going to go crazy. That's not feasible. So you're, that, that goes back to one of the things I said at the beginning, because one of the numbers that jumped out, because I come from a very different background. One of the things we believe is that if you see the same number over and over again, pay attention. And for whatever reason, this number 37.5% keeps popping up in odd places. Wayne, I think that's the Enhanes number, right? It was virtually to the tenth of a percent, the number in the latest San Antonio medical military study. And it was your FLI number. And in all three cases, it's meant to represent a NAFL population. Now I'm hearkening back to Jeff saying if the number were that high, we'd have problems getting payers to take this disease seriously because the cost will scare the stuffing out of them. Just as you noted, if the right cutoff on FIB4 is we've got to take a look at 20% of the population, we'd have to construct an entire care structure that was not hepatology-based in order to do that. If this study is replicated in Germany or confirmed in some other way, what do you anticipate that will wind up saying about the care system that needs to be developed to support patients? Will anything change? Should anything change? If so, how? I'm going to say that I think that number that you mentioned with the fatty liver index above 60, 37.5%. I, I think that's a population that's metabolically unhealthy. And there are multiple levels in the medical system where we need to tend these people, not necessarily in hepatology offices. It's fair to say that there is a burden of NAFL, but it's not necessarily the liver disease population. We have to provide education and preventive measures to that population. Now, if you move down in the severity line and you end up with a 1%, I think this is where we really have to think about more liver-directed preventive measures to avoid avoid liver endpoints, which are not that far down the line in that population. Not everybody is going to see that. It's still a diverse group, but I think this is where really the field moves in. And again, I'm not suggesting that that cutoff is the best for referral. It's just that the prevalence we're talking in the population here and, and, and the, the size of the problem is better depicted by the 1% number here from my perspective. Okay. So just to push back slightly, that depends on the problem, right? As you pointed out, the 37 and a half is the metabolic number. And for example, Louise and her colleagues last week talking about how do we make better use of nursing care. Some of the other discussions that we've had along your comment that that's an indicator of generally poor metabolic health. I think not enough people think about the liver as, as Stephen puts it, the canary in the coal mine. You could argue that that FLI number is in fact the canary in the coal mine for people who've got generalized metabolic issues we need to be dealing with. As I say, because it keeps coming up in that context in different markets, not folks who need a hepatologist, but folks who might have an issue. Looking at all of you from all different markets and settings, is it realistic to think that a goal for the next five years, I'm making that time frame up, is to get folks to look at some of these markers that have that kind of number and say, those are the patients whose metabolic health we want to be looking at generally. Not hepatologists, we don't have enough to do that, but that that's a marker for poor metabolic health. And in that way, maybe bring the liver into the story a little better. Maybe I'll jump in. There's quite a lot of facets to that, to that question, Roger. To understand the added value of a measure of liver fat, you need to understand how frequently it was abnormal in the absence of other conventional risk factors 
factors for metabolic ill health, BMI, impaired glycemia, hypertension, true diabetes. To really know whether you are offering the patient more by telling them they've got fatty liver in addition to their, you know, known or perhaps unknown other metabolic comorbidities. And I think I'd be interested to hear what Wayne and Louise have to say about that. And really to return to the point about the 37.5% number versus the 1% number, a lot of the 37.5 could reasonably be considered not to have liver disease, but simply to have fatty liver as evidence of metabolic ill health. And there probably is the opportunity now to have a conversation about what is liver disease, because it's that at what point, you know, should we consider that this is liver disease that needs treatment rather than a whole patient approach in terms of managing their medical comorbidities in the in the in the first line. Louise Campbell. That's a very good point. So if you reverse it in a similar way to your suggestion there, Jean, you said this was cardiac initiated study by cardiologists. If we turned around and said that 37% of the cardiac population actually had fatty liver disease, that's a significant portion. And is that therefore, are we then saying that you need to start looking for fatty liver index, you need to start drilling down in your population? Because 37% of your population driving a condition which currently isn't being assessed for is a significant problem. I've not had the opportunity yet to read the full piece. Did you get an opportunity to cross-reference that 30% with those who had type 2 diabetes and the normal things that we consider as being part of that? So whether or not it really was driving a cardiac population? Yeah, so it was a, it was a study that was initiated by our cardiologists. It's population-based and they did a deep phenotyping on cardiac disease and all aspects. And I think one thing where it'll inform us is regarding to the relationship with the severity of the cardiac phenotype in that 37.5% with high fatty liver index versus the ones that don't have a high fatty liver index. So I'm very excited to see that data emerge. We went in detail and described the metabolic phenotypes and arterial hypertension present in 50% of the population, actually type 2 diabetes, only 9% of the entire population, dyslipidemia 34.6 and metabolic syndrome 34. 0.5% in the entire study population. And we didn't look at the FLI associations too much because that measure of fatty liver index is a pretty rough one. It's valid at those population-based studies, but I don't like it too much because there's some inaccuracy to it. So we did more associations with the actual presence of elevated liver function tests than and the FIB4. And here, um, the metabolic risk factors come out, but I don't have information on cardiovascular disease yet. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the contents of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week to look at NAIL NIT, an exciting effort to speed the path towards basic NASH and NAFLD knowledge, particularly in non-invasive testing, by aggregating data from multiple manufacturers into a single data set. Our panelists will include two leaders in the academic effort to do this and two pharmaceutical executives with experience and passion for this effort. It should be excellent. So until then, stay safe, surf on. We'll see you next week on Surfing the NASH Tsunami. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.